Hello and welcome to Dive into Deep Tech, a podcast where we talk about novel emerging technologies and the potential they hold to create new markets and solve some of today's global challenges. I'm Ishna Gogia, Program Manager at Republic of Work, and we'll be covering all the bases from health tech and biotech to advanced computing and electronics in the podcast series. Today, we'll be diving straight into different research and development initiatives set in place by the Irish government to support as well as promote STEM activities. We're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Abigail Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society. Prior to her current appointment, she has led a series of positions at SFI, including Director of Innovation, Communications and Education, and Director of Programs, Enterprise and International Affairs. She was responsible for overseeing all SFI research funding programs and management of funded awards, as well as managing SFI's activities in conjunction with industry and international partners. Dr. Ruth, welcome to this episode of Dive into Deep Tech. Thank you for having me. Tell us a bit about your role at SFI and how is SFI involving public in thoughtful discussions, even disseminating information around new research and innovation? Science Foundation Ireland, for listeners that don't know who we are, we're, we're a government agency and we're the largest competitive funder of research. So when I meet people and I'm out and about, I always say my job is essentially investing your money as a taxpayer here into to bright people who are trying to come up with, you know, who have great ideas and who are trying to solve the challenges of, of society. And what, what that means is we, we spend a lot of our time uh, funding and overseeing grants to researchers in third level institutions and we fund across all areas of science technology engineering and maths um, and and my role at the foundation you know one of my teams is responsible for funding all of those brilliant individuals who are coming to us for funding and then we we kind of have a second part to our mandate or maybe even two or three but one of the parts that that I also oversee and I'm very interested in is that communication with the public about science because uh, you know as, as science or, or stem becomes more and more ubiquitous in all of our lives and I think it's it's becoming a bigger part of our our banking our our education our work life and I suppose one of the reflections that we've had over the past couple of years is what role does a member of the public have in, in shaping technology of the future? You know, should we be having discussions about new technologies as they emerge, uh, much more open, much more public discussions so that we can actually decide early on what direction we as the broad public want to encourage researchers to take? And it's not about directing them or telling them what to do, but it's about that important voice of the public understanding what's happening and, and giving their view as a society. Um, I mean, the other part of our, our remit, which I think is really important, is around that enterprise dimension. So, you know, a lot of the research that we, we we support, you know, ultimately it does go on. It's either spun out, it can be licensed, it creates new knowledge that's used. Um, and, and also we have many hundreds of companies in Ireland that are collaborating with researchers that we support. So uh, hopefully we we are we are part of a very vibrant ecosystem. And certainly that's our vision. It's about Ireland being an innovation leader in science and engineering, in research. And I think to to support research that really will make a difference, um, whether it's in the short term or the long term. And, and some of that is is the long term and it is about new knowledge. 
And recently, the National Challenge Fund was announced, which kind of loops in with the SFI's vision and mission as well. It is a 65 million research fund that consists of eight challenges, two of which are live, 2050 challenge and digital transformation challenge as well. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about these challenges and what are the expected outcomes? The Challenge Fund is is a really important new initiative that we're working on. And we we started challenge funding back in 2018. And, and at the time, it, it wasn't a, a new way of doing things. In fact, it's it's kind of an old way of doing things, but it, but it was new, new for us at the time. Um, and it kind of is what it says on the tin. And, you know, probably an, an exa- a historical example that some people may have heard of is the Longitude Prize. And this was a prize that was set up hundreds of years ago. And a challenge was put out to, to anyone, actually, to say, can we come up with a method to tell longitude at sea for sailors that were making treacherous crossings out to sea from the UK? Uh, and and in the end, there was, there was a prize fund, and that was won by a clockmaker, John Harrison, who came up with these sea clocks where you could you could tell the longitude. And and I think you know organizations like in the states, DARPA, have been using this methodology for a while, and we've seen it in the UK. So so the idea is you know rather than sort of the researchers you know, continuing to make progress and investigating a particular phenomenon or, you know, trying to piece together what's going on or build new kinds of semiconductors. It's mission led. So we're saying the objective here is to to sort of solve for X. Um, And we started that process a number of years ago. And there was few elements that were very different to anything we'd done before. So normally when we give a researcher a grant, um, you know, it might be for four or five years, they'll put a team in place, they'll have a series of milestones that they will look to reach over the time period. But but and while we we are dropping in, we're constantly checking in on them, we kind of leave them to it. With challenge funding, it's very different. So the first thing is we get a group of teams together and it's competition. So that immediately changes the dynamic of the situation. And, and once when those teams start, the first thing that we do is we we invest time to get to talk to them and to train them. So so I think, again, the first phase of the project is, is you know, three to six months. And that project is all about us working with the researchers to make sure that what we don't have is kind of a solution looking for a problem, that the thing they're working on is actually going to work if they can develop it. So they have a lot of stakeholder engagement. There's a lot of conversations. You know, we introduce them to things like the theory of change and design thinking so they can step back maybe from the lab bench for a few minutes and think about, well, if I do build this thing or if I can crack this technology, is it the right technology for the problem that I'm trying to solve? And in fact, we even, rather than working alone, the researchers work in teams and what we do is we get them to bring somebody onto the team we call the societal champion. So they're not a researcher, um, but they become a researcher for the project. And, and that could be, for example, a patient advocate. It could be an end customer. It could be a, a, a government department, somebody from a government department who's interested in deploying a new type of regulation or a new policy. So, so we really try to bake in from the beginning of the project. Is this actually going to meet the need of stakeholders or customers at the end? As the competition progresses, we gradually lose teams along the way who maybe aren't getting quite as close to a solution. And then at the end, um, there is a prize exactly in the tradition of longitude. And that prize is a prize award from us. 
And, and what that enables us to do is give a significant amount of funding. So in the order of one to two million euro to really kickstart um, a venture from that project. It won't always be a commercial venture because some of the things that are being tackled in the challenge fund relate to better public services. And, and but but it certainly is is an amount of money that really enables the research team and those around them, because certainly, uh, you know, the technology transfer offices and others are, are great supporters of this program. It really enables them to to have a great shot to get that technology out of a university and, and kind of into practice. Earlier, the National Challenge Fund was known as the SFI Challenge. I would believe it's kind of in the similar uh, line, which was the Food Challenges and the Zero Emission Challenge and so on. Have you seen any of those projects coming to a point now where they are scaling any of the previous projects that are currently in the scale-up phase that were kind of funded through these challenges? Yeah, I mean, look, as with all things, Ten, they do take time, but I think we're seeing some really, really promising results. So the winner of our first um, challenge fund um, was a researcher and an entrepreneur called Dr. Alison Liddy, uh, and she's working on an injectable pain relief therapy called Hydroblock. And Alison has gone on. She's established a company, Relevium, and she's gone on to get funding from, from the European Innovation Council. And it's really, really fantastic to see, see her going from strength to strength. Um, I, I think if we look beyond that, we've had we have a group of researchers looking at preeclampsia and using AI as an improved diagnostic for, for women who, who may have preeclampsia and how we can detect that early and manage it. And again, we're seeing a group of researchers that would have very much uh, Patricia McGuire, led by Dr. Patricia McGuire in UCD, really seeing a group of researchers who I think would say themselves have transitioned from very much going through that stepwise approach to research in the lab to really being out pushing to get this into, into patients. Um, and I think most recently we've seen a really innovative, um, it, it was in, in looking at food waste, uh, one of the ones you mentioned there, um, because one of the biggest products that is wasted, we all, we all, we're all guilty of this is, is salad leaves, fresh salad. You know, you, you just, you, you open the bag and, and the leaves are all soggy and actually sort of in a, in a, in a paradox, one of the challenges is that consumers are demanding more environmentally friendly packaging. So they're looking for things like paper packaging or biodegradable plastic packaging. And in fact, those types of packaging are not as good at keeping food fresh as the kind of traditional clean film and plastic. So, so this team uh, who called themselves Leaf No Waste, they, they have come up with a really novel idea, which is to fortify salad leaves with a silicon based um, additive. And while that might sound sort of scary because we often think about silicone as maybe a silicone implant, in fact, silicon's obviously a very common element and, and it fortifies the cell walls of plants. So they've come up with a kind of two tier approach where you fortify the salad leaves, but then you also come up with an optimized compostable packaging. So while these things are still still early stage, you know, what we're trying to do with this program is to get them on a track where their chance of of, of really spinning out and getting into use is much, much improved. And that's one area where SFI works. On the other hand, SFI promotes and supports STEM education and engagement, as well as promoting women in STEM. Could you walk us through some of the initiatives SFI has taken to lay emphasis around STEM into school? Absolutely. And 
I, you know, I feel I feel very lucky that this is part of our mandate because actually we we get to work with, you know, our, our youngest citizens in primary school all the way up to, to people of every age doing research. And I think for many years um, we've run a programme. It used to be called Discover Primary Science and Maths. We've actually just rebranded as Curious Minds because that's really what it's all about. And it's, it's a programme that has a number of strands. So one thing we do is we offer continuous professional development training to teachers because we we do have teachers who, you know, maybe science wasn't their favorite subject at school. You know, they've gone on to become a primary school teacher, which is, you know, a very generalist role where you really have to be good at many, many things. And we do know that some of them really appreciate getting more confidence in teaching science. So we offer them some training and it's all about how they can spark curiosity, how they can go into the classroom. And rather than just going through a fixed lesson plan, let's experiment, let's ask questions. I might not even know the answers, but let's all work them out together. So, so we run that Curious Mind program in hundreds of schools um, across the country. Uh, and we also recognize schools and teachers who go that extra mile when it comes to STEM. So we have our Curious Minds Awards um, and we recognize students that have maybe gone outside the classroom to, to even, you know, do experiments or, you know, get out and explore nature and do something else that inspires their love of science. But we also go outside the classroom. And I think that's that's really important because we all know that formal education is one part of what we learn, but then informal things are really important, too. So, again, we're we're, we're I feel we're so lucky. There's there's passionate organizations and individuals and volunteers all over the country that work with us. And, and you know, we have projects with the National Concert Hall where, where, you know, children go in and learn about science and music. We have biodiversity programs. Uh, we work with a whole network of organizations who brand themselves as discover centers. So places like the Atlantiquarium or, you know, places where children can go and do hands on experience of STEM. And then maybe, you know, kind of the for our year, a big a big week that's coming up, which is Science Week. So every year in November, we have over a thousand events across the country. We have a, a partnership, which we again is, is fantastic for us. We work with RTE. We work with lots of other media outlets to sort of bring science to everyone that week. And, and I think that's kind of the philosophy. Let's bring science to where you are, because you know what? Everyone actually has a right to be part of the conversation about science. So even if you didn't really like it in school or even if you don't see it as a big part of your life, you're actually allowed to come back in and join the conversation. And in fact, it's great if we can get all those different perspectives in because we're going to have better research and better science if, if lots of people get involved. And then I think I suppose coming to women in STEM and careers, because that's sort of the next step there. Uh, you know, we've known historically, you know, there, there have been fewer women, particularly at senior positions in science. And, you know, it can be hard to get permanent academic roles in research as well. So I think we've, um, you know, again, internally in SFI, we have a great team in our research policy division that's always looking at the evidence behind how we can support women more effectively. And through our gender strategy, I would say we have a number of things which tip the playing field slightly, but they tip it to make it level. That's how I put it, because what the evidence shows is that women 
have to work much harder to get the same outputs as men in science. So, you know, the same CV with a man's name and a woman's name gets assessed differently for science jobs. Uh, we know that when women get reviewed, their grants get reviewed, they tend to get slightly lower scores than the equivalent grant proposal written by a man. So, so we've brought in a couple of really innovative initiatives. So, so one has been in our early career program. We say to the institutions, um, you know, you can put in whatever it is, six or eight applications. But if you can balance your applications where they're where they're 50-50 men and women, or you're making sure that underrepresented minorities are coming through, we're going to let you put in more applications. So in fact, you can double the number of people that you can put in for us to review. And what we found when we did that is that once we opened up the field and we encouraged a wider pool of applicants with an emphasis on people who don't normally get put forward, those women and minorities got at least 50% of the awards without making any, any other interventions. So what that tells us is, you know, people were not being put forward in, in maybe maybe when they should have been. So so that that's one great initiative. I think the other thing we've done, which is quite radical, actually, and, and, and you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm proud that SFI in Ireland have taken this on, is that when we review grants from individual researchers in our Frontiers programme, which is our kind of premium programme for, for researchers to get a grant, uh, when we look at the results at the end, we say all things being equal, you know, if we look at grants that have scored identically through the process, we fund the women first because we know they've worked harder to get that score. Um, now, you know, look, ideally, we want to be in a position where we're funding everyone who's come up with a great idea. That never happens. But certainly what we're seeing is we're getting closer and closer to our targets around balancing funding uh, men, women, other minority, uh, and making sure that there's a as level a playing field as we can possibly make it for people to be involved in research. Because ultimately, exactly like the discussion around public engagement, we're going to have a better research system if we have people with lots of different perspectives coming in. I think when we're coming, when we're speaking about the perspective, I feel that every person in the team from different genders, from different areas of the world as well. They bring a very different perspective to the team. And I think the goal of putting this forward is to get that diverse ideas together, diverse minds together. And again, when we go back about igniting minds for pursuing science, what would be the apt career? So, you know, some for somebody who's pursuing uh, STEM-based subjects in high school, you know, in today's world, what would be the apt career path look like? You've finished your university and what beyond that? What are the options there? Yeah, I guess they're endless, really. I mean, there's so and they probably should be even broader. You know, I think there's walks of life where we don't see people with science and, and engineering backgrounds, but maybe we should, you know, as I kind of mentioned previously, that academic route where people go on to do a master's or a PhD and then, you know, get a tenure track or a tenured position will only be for a small minority because that's that system. But it's really great to see more and more, you know, a very vibrant tech sector here. We have a fantastic med tech sector, a biopharmaceutical sector, and we definitely see people who want to go into those roles. But 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 even beyond that, I think we see scientists bringing their training and their logical way of thinking into all sorts of different walks of life, you know, whether that be science engagement or um, 
environmental companies, green tech, you know, uh, all, all different things, even communication about science is becoming so much more important now. So, I mean, what I would say to anyone on that career, I would say, don't just go on and do a master's and PhD and kind of drift into a situation where you go, I, I really feel I should get an academic position. Really think about the breadth of what's out there. And I think a science degree is very attractive to loads of employers, no matter what kind of role you're looking at, um, because there's loads of transferable skills in a science degree that you can take anywhere. And, and they've got better and better. I mean, even since I did it now, we see things like ethics, communication, research integrity. These are all part of science courses that students are being offered today. And it's really, really good to see that. And I think that kind of brings me to the point where it's also that SFI plays a key role across the career spectrum of a researcher, whether they're early on or they're highly esteemed researchers Every researcher is eligible to apply for SFI funding. As we mentioned, or as you mentioned now, there are only a handful of vacancies within academy and the odds of somebody getting onto the academic tenure are like on the lower side. So would that be the roadmap even for the PhD or the postdoc students? And if they opt into, you know, going down the road of spinning out, what role would institutes play in defining a researcher's path forward? What would be yeah. Academia's role? I think for, for PhDs and postdocs who, who are thinking I might go down a, a more commercial route, there's a number of things they can do. So, I mean, actually, we already talked about the National Challenge Fund. I mean, that is one way where we see postdoctoral researchers get it going into that different kind of program, which emphasizes, um, you know, developing um the solution to a problem and has all of that training wrapped around it. We also have a program which I'm a big fan of. It's called the Research Development and Innovation Fellowship. And what that does, and it's a particularly good program, I think, for, for, for SMEs who want to engage with research, because we all know when you're in an SME, you know, everyone has lots of different things they're trying to do. It can be really challenging to get the headspace and the time and the resources to have a big academic partnership or set up a collaboration with a university. But but the Research Development and Innovation Fellowship, we will fund the salary of a researcher to embed in a company for, for a year. And it's a great way for the, the postdoctoral fellow to experience what it's like to work in a non-academic environment. But it's also a brilliant way for an SME to dip their toe into what it might be like to work more closely with an academic institution. I mean, I think when it comes to spin outs, you know, we're certainly seeing although it is more the remit area of Enterprise Ireland rather than Science Foundation Ireland, we are seeing, uh, you know, a number of programmes where, where people will be supported through commercialisation funding to try and bring their idea forward and, and to maybe get to that point where, where there's a company one day. And, and look, that's very difficult. We all know it's difficult. You know, there's probably far more failures than successes. But, you know, we do see successes coming through the Irish system, which, which is great. I think that system's not perfect. And, and certainly we, we 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 have a new program which we we're hoping to have in place by next year, which will will look at regional hubs, um, which will kind of assist researchers to 
to get to that point faster. So to try and break down some of the barriers where they, they can get funding for their idea and they can get to that point where they're ready to spin out much quicker and that they're in a better place to spin their technology out. So I, I kind of see it as a relay race. There's definitely a bat on pass where, where we're we're the first leg and we're supporting the researchers. And then there is that bat and pass over to the technology transfer offices to Enterprise Ireland, uh, where, where hopefully the journey continues. Not, not for everyone, because it, it doesn't. That That's just the reality. Of, of, of spin outs but hopefully for the ones that, that can make it that's how the journey goes and just in context to what the framework is so for any spin out for example if they wanted to apply for a European call it is quite important for them to hold IP that belongs to them if you're spinning out is that a sort of mandate even for SFI funding that if a researcher is kind of applying for a project for a call within SFI that they need to have certain sort of rights over their IP or is that something that is kind of accommodated within the current framework? I think probably the type of applications that come into us are a little bit different in that they they may even be pre the stage where there's a formal arrangement around IP. I mean, a lot of the things that come into us, of course, I mean, they are IP, they are people's ideas and, you know, they are treated confidentially and, and that's how it works. But I mean, obviously we we all operate under a framework. I mean, some of that is a European framework and then we have our own national framework for management of IP. I mean, I guess ultimately where state investment goes into something, there are constraints around how that can be managed. You know, there's constraints under EU law and then there's constraints just because it is taxpayers' money and it has to be managed carefully and appropriately. Um, so, I mean, all of our programmes, you know, as I said, they more tend to be in the ideas space, but we work very, very closely with the with the institutions, with the universities, with the technical universities to make sure that researchers can get their ideas into us and that hopefully then they are they are in a place where they can apply for those other funding streams. And we see researchers doing it. You know, we see people going on to the EIC. Again, not many, but that's because it's a really hard thing to do. And, and you know, what we want to do, I suppose, with innovation, I think you have to place a lot of bets. You know, that's one of the things you do actually need a volume of activity because because with all of these things, most things fail. That's that's the reality. So what we what we are really committed to is increasing the volume of people who are thinking about innovation, who are thinking about how their ideas can make a difference. And, and then, you know, we will get better and better at wrapping the right supports around them so they have what they need. And then when we look at the states or wider European Union, there's quite a wide spectrum of funding available for them to access in the ecosystem. For example, if you look at the states, there is the National Science Foundation. They have a seed fund of up to two million available for companies or early stage R&D as well. What are your thoughts of implementing such plans within Ireland? Uh, are there any plans of developing and mate uh, implementing materials and frameworks for bringing tech to market quicker and supporting yeah. innovation? I mean, the, 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 region, the regional hubs that I just mentioned there, I mean, certainly that for us will be part of our efforts at, at kind of within our part of the race to, to make sure that we're getting people to, to that handover point quicker and more effectively and, and more ready. I think that's that's really important as well, because certainly what, what I've learned over the last couple of years, particularly working with the challenge teams is, you know, the environment and, and, and this is totally expected, the environment and the challenges that, that that researchers face in academia are not necessarily the same challenges that one faces in a spin out or in a commercial environment. So we do need 
to work with researchers to make sure that they are ready. So I think that 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 re- those regional hubs, which will kind of be based on smart specialization themes where different kinds of research can be clustered together and accelerated, will be really important. I mean, I think it has been really good to see the Disruptive Technologies Innovation Fund, you know, which which is not one of our programs, but certainly that has great ambition and it has great scale. So I think, you know, what we're seeing in Ireland, it's still a relatively new system. You know, when you compare it to something like the US, where the National Science Foundation has been there for more than 50 years and DARPA has been there investing huge amounts of money for decades. So definitely we're we're still learning, we're still optimizing, but it's really good to see the kind of different pieces of the puzzle slotting into place. And, and, and we are seeing researchers coming through. And I think that's really exciting. And when we speak about these regional hubs that that are in place or that are in plan, are these academic institutes or are these the uh, technical institutes that are already established or would there be more regional institutes that are specific to a certain expertise? Well, they, it's, an, it's an early program, so we don't have the full details yet, but they, they, they will be essentially sort of, I mean, they will have physical space, but they will be virtual, but, but really they will be focused on researchers getting their activities through getting support. So in many ways, I call it a hub, but it's really about a system of support, but ensuring that there is that regional focus as well, um, you know, so that it's absolutely as tailored as it can be for researchers in those areas and working with those particularly technology streams. And we're, we're always thinking about that, you know, where are the gaps? So what do we need to put in place? And I think what we were seeing was that for individual researchers, the cycles between getting their funding and then getting a decision about a piece of funding and then doing the research and then maybe looking to seek the next tranche of funding, you know, given that we never have enough money to fund everybody that we want and everyone that has a good idea, you know, it can be quite easy for a researcher just to miss, you know, one round of funding. And that can really slow you down if you're trying to be on a track to move something to commercialization and innovation. So um, our hope is that these hubs, when they are fully developed, will, will help that issue. And in terms of the academic institutes and their role in commercialization of technology, what is the business model over there? It's Is it about servicing bigger clients like the likes of Apple or Meta when they come down to a city for a certain technology? For example, as an outsider or an SME based in Ireland, how does uh, one access resources or start a conversation to explore a collaboration within you know, the research institutes that are already in place or research departments without really getting lost in between. This is not my area of expertise. I'm going to transfer you to another place. Yeah, look, and as we already kind of discussed that it can be harder for SMEs with more limited resources to do that. I mean, one thing that I think is 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 good to hear is actually when we looked back last year, because a lot of our researchers work with companies and, and, and what we saw was that there was about 1500 different engagements with different kinds of companies, but more than half of them are now SMEs. So that's that's really good to see. So while it might be a harder work for some of the SMEs, they are getting there. And I do think, again, I sort of hark back to the the Research Development and Innovation Fellowship. I I think programs like that, which actually bring a person into an SME, are often more effective for building that collaboration than, as you say, if, if you're really very constrained and you're trying to go to an academic institution because invariably there's going to be a set of procedures you'll have to go through and and that is more challenging if if you have fewer people and fewer resources so i think 
you know, we've definitely thought about that. And that's why I think, you know, yes, the research centers that we fund, the SFI research centers, they have business development managers who, who really are delighted to speak to companies. And hopefully if you get passed to somebody else, it's for the right reason, uh, you know, just because they're better suited to help you. But certainly any any SME listeners, I would say, look at the Research Development and Innovation Fellowship. If you haven't really got involved in collaborative research before, it's a great place to start. And just to sort of touch upon the SFI success stories, um, so far, which calls have seen record applications? And this year, where does the focus lie in terms of newer challenges that haven't been announced yet? Or what kind of TRL applications come in and what would setting the scene look like for them? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, we've kind of touched on it. We have a, such a variety of programs. So when it comes to sort of individual grants, we can get hundreds of applications and ideas in for those programs. When it comes to something like the challenge funding, obviously, we get smaller numbers there. Um, but But really, when I look at sort of success for us. I think the beauty is that success can look really different, you know, and, and, and you know, for me, you know, we can come in and hear about a seminal breakthrough in fundamental physics that one of our researchers has done. And that's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly exciting if somebody supported here in Ireland um, by public money has changed the way we think about matter or physics or quantum technology. I think that's really, really exciting and important. Um, and then all the way through to maybe some of the really practical things that the challenge teams are looking at or you know, this year in our Frontiers program, we were able to work with the Children's Health Foundation. So we're working with them to support specific funding that will go to look at improving healthcare outcomes in children. So and this is this has all been done on behalf of the public. So I think there's there's so many different kinds of successes that come out of funding into research. And and ultimately, I mean, to kind of come back to where we started and, you know, this is kind of almost like it's a truism. It said so much. But if we think about all of the people, all of the researchers who are supported to to bring their ideas to fruition, but who are inspired to to keep working away on difficult problems, yeah, you know, difficult diseases that are hard to solve, the, the climate crisis. And, and again, these can be places where it's hard for researchers to keep going all the time. So I sort of feel like we the public, we, the funders, you know, our job is to support researchers, to to put the structures in place, to try and get the barriers out of their way. So if they go on to be outstanding academic researchers and to train the next generation and make scientific breakthroughs and come up with new knowledge, that's fantastic. If they become entrepreneurs and innovators, that's fantastic. You know, if they go on to help us set up a better public health system or help us take better decisions about how we manage our environment. All of that comes from a core of expertise that comes from research in STEM. So really, I'm lucky. To, I could talk to you about all the successes for the rest of the day, but but they're different, um, but they're all very meaningful. I'm absolutely enjoying every bit of the conversation today. Do you have any news and announcements about any of the upcoming events that you'd like to share with the wider community? I mean, as you said, we have our next four calls under the National Challenge Fund coming. And I think for me, probably the next really exciting announcement will actually be to see the ideas that have come in the first call, because I think 
we can all get behind ideas. And really these teams, they're starting on a journey. It's 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 going to be a race. Not everyone's going to win. So we'll be constantly updating on our website and on social media how these teams are doing, what the ideas are. So I think that will be a really exciting one to watch for everyone over the next 12 to 18 months. Thank you so much, Ruth, for joining us today and sharing some wonderful insights on the research, development and the innovation ecosystem here in Ireland. I've absolutely loved every bit of our conversation here today and we really hope SFI continues to support and grow the communities contributing to STEM and empowering individuals to shape Ireland's future through sustainable innovation. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dive Into Deep Tech, powered by Grant Thornton Ireland and brought to you from Republic of Work Studio, Court's leading co-working innovation hub. Follow us online for more information. Till then, stay tuned. <laughs>